Now, I know a lot of you have been celebrating in secret since October, but for the rest of us, this is the first weekend of the year that we can publicly celebrate Christmas without shame. So Merry Christmas to all of us, and to celebrate a few Bible passages about the most Christmas word of them all. Psalm 23, verses 1 through 4. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. And even though I walk through the darkest valley, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. And Matthew chapter 1, verses 22 and 23. The birth of Jesus took place this way to fulfill what the Lord had said through the prophet Isaiah. The virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel, which means God with us. Finally, Matthew chapter 28, verses 19 through 20. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always, even to the very end of the age. One passage before Jesus' life, one at the beginning and one at the end of his ministry. And of course, the most Christmas word of them all is the simple word, with. God intends to be with us, and this is one of the great themes of the Bible. And with is a small word, but it is wondrous indeed. We're in a series called The Wonder of Advent, and if you're not familiar with the word Advent, Advent is the season of preparation before Christmas Day. Christmas comes every single year, but if you stop and you pay attention to it, it is very much awe-inducing. And John chapter 1, verse 14 is another one of those awe-inducing Christmas passages. The Word became flesh and dwelt among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. And this phrase, became flesh, takes the idea of being with someone to the next level. God was always present with us, but when God became flesh, He became just like us in Jesus. And this is the wonder of Christmas. And many promises flow from this moment when God became flesh. 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 20 says, All of God's promises find their yes in Jesus. So when God takes on flesh, he promises that you will never be alone. And when God takes on flesh, he promises that everything about your life can be healed or redeemed. This is God with us. This is Christmas. And in the Latin translation of this passage, John chapter 1, verse 14, it uses the word incarnate. Incarnation is the Latin word that means to become flesh. And this single word, incarnation, has become kind of a shorthand for all of these promises that God himself makes to us when he becomes flesh. And so this is a Christmas sermon in three parts about the wonder of the incarnation. Now, part one is about the power of wonder. Humans are uniquely capable of wonder. Our friends over at the Greater Good Science Center in Berkeley do research on the human capacity for wonder, and many of their studies have shown that wonder is incredible for human thriving. It's just really good for us. Several of their studies suggest wonder improves your mood and makes you more satisfied with your life. It's good for your health, 
It improves critical thinking. It decreases materialism and increases humility. Wonder induces generosity and goodwill. And interestingly, some of their studies have shown wonder makes you feel like you have more time. And finally, wonder makes you feel more connected to others. Wonder is just really, really good for us. And interestingly, the Greater Good Science Center of Berkeley suggests that a pretty reliable way to experience this kind of wonder is to practice spirituality or religion. Now, the mechanic at work that creates this helpful kind of wonder is sometimes called by psychologists the small self effect. We experience wonder when we feel small in comparison to the night sky or to a huge wave. We experience wonder when we're part of something much bigger than ourselves. In fact, the director of the Greater Good Science Center concluded in this summary article, one simple prescription can have transformative effects. Look for more daily experiences of awe. In short, change what you pay attention to. And this is going to be my ask at the end of this Christmas sermon. You got to change what you pay attention to in this Christmas season. Now, this kind of wonder, the small self effect, is readily available in the stories about Jesus, especially his birth. Luke chapter 2. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news that will cause great joy for all people. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven, the shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in a manger. And when they'd seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told to them about this child. And all who heard it were in wonder at what the shepherd said to them. Over the next five weeks, we're going to talk a lot about wonder. In the course of this series, we're going to talk about the wonder of hope, the marvel that is getting to hope in something. We're going to talk about the wonder of love and the wonder of joy and the wonder of peace. This series is an invitation to awe, the kind that science says is really good for us if we'd only pay attention to it. Now, the second part of this Christmas sermon has to do with the Christmas word, this little word, with. As we've seen, one of the names of Jesus was Emmanuel, God with us. And this idea of Emmanuel has three aspects. He is God, he is human, and he is with us. Tim Keller observes that this just doesn't shock us the way that it should. Now, we, as we investigate this, this part of the sermon is going to have a PG-13 section. And I'm just letting you know now, and I'll warn you when we get there, but there's a PG-13 section. And there's a PG-13 section because we have to reference some very difficult parts of humanity if we want to talk about God becoming human. But before we get to that, I want to talk about socks. I have a friend who swears by possum socks, and when he first told me about them, I thought he meant socks with pictures of possums on them. And then he told me that they're actually made out of possums. And then, maybe like you, I thought of this guy. But then my friend told me that, no, that guy is an opossum. And there's another animal called a possum whose fur is perfect for socks. 
Now, I think it's safe to say that in my lifetime, the quality of socks has gone up dramatically. It used to be that getting socks for Christmas was the worst. Now, it's pretty okay, especially if they're possum socks. But however you feel about getting socks under the tree, you're going to need socks each and every Christmas because Christmas should knock your socks off. And as I was preparing for this sermon, I looked up the history of this idiom about getting your socks knocked off. And it turns out that it's from boxing in the 1800s, although then I think it was called pugilism. But trainers would tell their fighter, you let that other guy hit you so hard that not only did your shoes come off, but your socks came off as well. You got hit so hard that it knocked your socks off. And I think that this is relevant, and here's why. Look at God in the Old Testament. Sometimes he is loving and close and slow to anger, but sometimes he is terrifying. God appears to Abraham as a smoldering furnace and to the nation of Israel as a pillar of fire. And he appears to Job as a tornado. When Moses speaks to God, he asks to see God's face. And he is told that if he saw God's face, he would immediately die. And Moses is only allowed to see God from a distance and only allowed to see God's backside. So what do you think Moses would have said if he had read, The word became flesh and dwelt among us and we have seen his glory. He would have said, What? Do you realize what this means? You can draw close to God. This was my life's ambition. He would have said, where is your joy? Where is your awe? This should be the main thing about your life. You can be close to God. He might have even said, my socks have come off. Now this fiery tornado of a God doesn't just show up as a human being. He doesn't just arrive as an adult and leave some wisdom and then depart. No, the designs are much grander than that. He comes as a baby, vulnerable and small and dependent. It is wondrous indeed. And the question is why? Why did God come as a vulnerable, small, dependent human little baby? And this is why. God became fully human in every way so that he could be near to us in every way. This is the Incarnation. The incarnation means that God suffered and that Jesus triumphed in this suffering. Christmas shows you a God unlike any other faith. Have you felt betrayed? Have you been lonely? A lot of people are lonely at Christmas time. Have you felt desperate? Have you faced death? So had this Jesus. Sometimes people say to me, You don't understand. I've prayed to God for things and God ignored my prayers. But in the garden of Gethsemane, Jesus cried out, Father, will you take this cup from me? He is asking to not be crucified, but he is turned down. Jesus knows the pain of unanswered prayer, and this is the meaning of Christmas. Now, sometimes other people say to me, I feel like God has abandoned me. But this is precisely what Jesus was saying on the cross when he said, My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus knows the pain of abandonment. And this is the meaning of Christmas. Christmas says, God has been all the places that you have been. He's been in the darkness that you and I have found ourselves in before and even more. And therefore, we can trust him. The incarnation is God saying, I understand every part of your life and I can be with you in every part of your life. It's God saying, my presence is more powerful than the thing troubling you. 
no matter what it is. Tim Keller put it this way. The incarnation means that God has the capacity for infinite comfort. To emphasize this point, the Christian psychologist Richard Beck reflects on a famous and offensive work of art. Now, this is the PG-13 part of this Christmas sermon. And so, just so it's clear that I didn't author this offensive content, I'm going to read directly from Dr. Beck's book, Unclean. It's only rated PG-13. It's not so bad, but just fair warning. So this is what Dr. Beck wrote. Last week out at the prison Bible study that I lead, I led the inmates through an unlikely Advent meditation. Our focus was on a controversial photograph by Andre Serrano. In 1987, the photographer Andre Serrano unveiled his controversial work, Expletive Christ. And it's beautiful. Here it is. Until you know what it is. This was a photograph of a crucifix submerged in a mixture of blood and urine. The work broke into public consciousness in 1989 when members of the U.S. Senate expressed outrage that Serrano had received $15,000 from the American National Endowment for the Arts. Senators called the work filth and blasphemous and abhorrent. One senator said, in naming it, Serrano was taunting the American people. He was seeking to create indignation. It's all right for him to be a jerk, but let him be a jerk on his own time and with his own resources. Do not dishonor our Lord with federal dollars. Later, in 1997, the National Gallery in Melbourne, Australia, was closed when members of a Christian group attacked the facility and damaged the photograph. This is an example of a psychological dynamic called negativity dominance in judgments of contamination. That is, when the pure comes into contact with the contaminant, it's the pure that's polluted. The negative dominates over the positive. The power is not with the pure, but sits with the pollutant. That's why the Pharisees see Jesus becoming defiled when he eats with tax collectors and with sinners. The pollutant, the tax collectors and sinners, defiles Jesus, the pure. Thus, in the contact between urine and Jesus in expletive Christ, we instinctively judge the negative to be stronger than the positive. Thus the shock, and thus the blasphemy. And Dr. Beck goes on. But the real blasphemy might just be this. We think that the urine is stronger than Christ. We instinctively and blasphemously believe that the defilement of our own lives is the strongest force in the universe, stronger than even God. It never occurs to us that Christ is stronger than the expletives of our lives. I looked at the men in the Bible study and said, This is the scandal of the Incarnation. This is the scandal of Christmas, that God descended into the expletives and darkness of your life, and the expletives and darkness did not overcome it. I know, I told the men, that this is so very hard to believe, that Jesus goes into the darkest, most disgusting, most defiled corners of our lives. That by itself is hard to believe. But even harder to believe is that Jesus is stronger than that polluting, shameful, defiled darkness. This is the scandal of Christmas. Captured in these two simple passages, John 1.14, the word became flesh and dwelt among us. And John 1.5, the light shines in the darkness, but the darkness does not overcome it. But the word did become flesh, Dr. Beck writes. God did dwell among us, and he still does, 
even in the expletives, especially in the expletives. Emmanuel. I looked at the men in the prison and I paused. I wanted them to hear this because there is some real darkness in their lives. Darkness we rarely speak about. I looked at them and I said, the meaning of the incarnation is that God has descended into the expletives of your life and God is stronger than that darkness. Do you believe it? Because I know it is so very hard to believe. You want to believe that your foulness, all the expletives in your life, is the strongest thing that there is, the greatest and final truth about your life, but it's not. It's so hard to believe what I'm telling you because it feels like blasphemy, but it's not. It's not blasphemy. It's the story of the incarnation. It is the word becoming flesh. It is the story of God's love for you. It is Christmas, or so says Dr. Beck. Wondrous indeed. God comes to meet us in our darkness, and the darkness does not overcome him. I remember a few years back, my kids, Margot and Frankie, were discussing together that they were scared of the dark. It was one of those really magical once-a-year moments where the kids were playing together without fighting. They were playing with Legos, and out of nowhere, my son Frankie volunteered. I'm scared of the dark sometimes, Margot. And Margo, who was five at the time, said knowingly, me too, Frankie, me too. And my first guess was that they were scared to be alone. I used to think that the universal human fear of darkness was, at its heart, a deep cry to be with someone. It was a fear of being alone. And then I realized, as often happens to me, that I was perfectly, exactly wrong. My kids weren't scared of the dark because they were alone. They're scared of the dark precisely because they're afraid they might not be alone. In their imagination, someone or something might be in there with them. And then I realized as I watched my kids play together that they might be scared of the dark in their room if I'm over in the living room. Or they might be scared of the dark if I'm right in the hallway and they're in their room. But if I come in and lay down right beside them, as I sometimes get to do, that's when they are no longer afraid. And that's when they can fall asleep. It matters greatly who is with you in the dark. And so in this series, we're exploring the character of this God who promised to be with us in the dark. We're going to take a look at this God who invented joy. Dallas Willard said that God was the most joyful being in the universe. He invented joy. We're going to take a look at the God who the Bible says is love. The Bible says God is love. We're going to take a look at the God described in the Bible as the God of all hope, and the Prince of Peace. This is the character of God, joy and love and hope and peace, and that is who is with us in the dark. The wonder of the incarnation is that Jesus has the infinite power to comfort you and to combat the darkness in your life. But it can be hard to let go of that darkness, can't it? In the story of Jesus' birth, some marvel and worship and others are deeply threatened. God being with humanity is comforting to some and highly disturbing to others. The book of Matthew records the story of someone who was disturbed by the arrival of Jesus. In the time of King Herod, after Jesus was born in Bethlehem of Judea, wise men from the east came to Jerusalem asking, Where is the child who has been born King of the Jews? Now, Herod fancies himself king of the Jews, so it would have been deeply disturbing to have someone else say, where is the real king? 
And these wise men go on, for we observed his star at its rising, and we have come to pay him homage. When King Herod heard this, he was frightened, and all Jerusalem with him. The great King Herod was terrified by this little baby. And Tim Keller said about this, In every heart then, there is a little King Herod that wants to rule and that is threatened by anything that may compromise its omnipotence or sovereignty. Each of us wants to be captain of their own soul, master of their own destiny. Where's the true king? That question is the most disturbing question possible to the human heart, since we want at all costs to remain on the throne of our own lives. There was another man who, in a dream, was promised that he would get to meet the Messiah. And when he meets the baby Jesus, he says this, This child is destined to cause many in Israel to fall and many others to rise. He's been sent as a sign from God, but many will oppose him. As a result, the deepest thoughts of many hearts will be revealed, and a sword will pierce your very soul. Part of the wonder of the incarnation is that it is powerfully comforting. God knows you. God understands you. But part of the wonder of the incarnation is that it is so deeply threatening to us. If God became human in this little baby and then was crowned king, then we have to give up our right to rule ourselves. And this is the true knock-your-socks-off moment. Even when we cling to our darkness, even when we prefer the darkness, Jesus comes to us. You see, Jesus wasn't born because the people asked for it. And he wasn't born because they were good and they deserved it. Jesus was born because he wanted to come collect his people from their darkness. The wonder of the incarnation is that because he loved us, he came to get us. And this Christmas, Jesus wants to come get you. The next five weeks will mark a journey through Advent, that season of preparing our hearts before Jesus arrives to get us. So how can you prepare? You can change what you pay attention to. This year, ignore the bustle. Make space for wonder. Come to all five weeks of this series. But especially, we have prepared two ways for you to change what you pay attention to. Two ways to pay attention to the wonder of Advent. The first is that Menlo Kids has prepared an Advent calendar, and you can work through it with your family at the dinner table or first thing in the morning or at bedtime. It will be a way to pay attention to Jesus' presence right there with your family. The other is that Menlo Meditations, our podcast, we're dropping season two, and it is all about this Advent miracle, this wonder of Advent that Jesus is with you. And so every weekday from now until Christmas Day, we'll be dropping a new audio meditation to help you focus on this wondrous promise that Jesus is with you. So don't miss it, because if you pay attention, Christmas might hit you so hard that your socks come off. And that's our prayer for you as we journey through Advent. Amen.